the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Pac-12 season betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Normally, I'd make a joke about the Pac-12, last and certainly least. Oh, no! We suck again! But, you know, compared to the SEC, where it's like, uh, you know, everyone's pretty convinced that Bama's going to take that, and same with Ohio State the Big Ten. A lot of interesting takes that you can have in the Pac-12 this year. I think there's a lot more disagreement in regards to some of the top teams. A lot of transfers are going to impact some of these teams. So we'll see if we can dig up some of that value. And I think that we might have a couple disagreements. And uh, we do agree on a couple for sure. But what's going on, Colin? A divisionless Pac-12. We're going to see if that helps them get into the playoff. They haven't been there since 2016. Washington went, did not cover a three-possession spread against Alabama. Pac-12 essentially has caved every time uh, they've been at the doorstep in the Pac-12 championship game. And we'll see if that continues. And we'll see if USC is going to try to join that list of teams that just come up short in the Pac-12. Let's dive right in. USC is the favorite. At plus 170, Utah plus 250, Oregon plus 300, UCLA 10 to 1, Washington 17 to 1. Then you get down to like Wazoo, Oregon State at 40 to 1, Arizona State, Cal 55 to 1, Stanford 65 to 1, and Colorado and Arizona. Major long shots. Just to summarize what the conference looks like, there are three new head coaches at Washington, Oregon, and USC. You could count Washington State, but Dickert was the coach for the final six last year as the interim and is still the head coach. There are seven new offensive coordinators. There are eight new defensive coordinators. And I think the most interesting story of the Pac-12 this year is the quarterback position. Obviously, the most important position on the field. There are seven, maybe eight, depending on how a quarterback battle shakes out, new quarterbacks from you know last year, day one. Game one to this year, game one, eight possible starting transfers at quarterback. So, you know, USC will have a transfer at quarterback. Oregon will most likely. Washington, Washington State, Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona, in intra-conference transfer. So that's going to go a long way in determining a lot of these win totals and what happens in the conferences. So let's dive right into it. There are no divisions this year, so that makes the schedule even more important. The top two teams from a win percentage perspective, and then obviously if there's ties, there'll be tiebreakers, will go to the Pac-12 championship. USC plus 170, Utah plus 250, Oregon plus 300, as I said, I think most would agree it's probably a three-team race. I actually played, and you're going to discriminate, so we can stay high level. I actually played Oregon to win the Pac-12. I guess this is a time to get in uh, Bo Nix season. (laughs) Bo Nix season in full effect. That's our first Bo Nix. He hasn't officially been named the starter. I I don't believe that there's Thompson and Butterfield are in, in competition as well, but I assume that he will be the starter against Georgia in week one. Nix's numbers, you know, haven't been that impressive, but he also has had three different offensive coordinators the past three years. Where did he look, I think, the most comfortable? And that that was in 2019, his, you know, his freshman campaign when he was under current offensive coordinator for Oregon, Dillingham. So uh, maybe, you know, it's the first time he's going to have the same offensive coordinator for the second time, even though it was – three seasons ago, but here I'll make my case for Oregon. And I think you're going to make your case for Utah. For me, what put me over the edge is no divisions. And I just think that Oregon, you know, I haven't power rated ahead of USC and I have them barely marginally 
below buying Utah. Here's the thing. Oregon, from a schedule perspective, they won the lottery. They avoid USC and they host Utah in a game that I project them as a small favor. They win that game. You're in the driver's seat to go to the Pac-12 championship if you beat Utah at home. And I make them a small favorite. I get them plus 300 compared to you know Utah plus 250. USC plus 170, I think, is being extremely overvalued here. And then look at their road schedule for Oregon. Washington State, Arizona, Cal, Colorado, and Oregon State. You cannot get an easier road schedule in the Pac-12 if you were crafting it yourself. And you get to, like I said, you get to avoid USC and you host Utah. Meanwhile, Utah gets USC and they must travel to both UCLA and Oregon. USC has a a pair of road dates against Utah and UCLA. So there are some questions on this Oregon roster, but it's, I mean, you can't question the talent. Um, The offensive line should be great. I think Bo Nix will be fine, um, especially going from like the SEC to the Pac-12. It's Bo time. Like a powder keg in your mouth. Southern style. I think he's going to be an upgrade over Anthony Brown, who I never was a fan of. The defense, excellent linebacker. I like their depth on the defensive line. Now, they lost a lot in the secondary, but I'm actually okay with their corner situation with the Colorado transfer, Christian Gonzalez, and the five-star sophomore, Dante Manning. So I actually think their defense is going to be okay, especially with landing at the helm. I couldn't pass up the chance. Quack, quack, three to one. I think this Oregon team is going to give Georgia a game to start off the year. That doesn't really matter for my bet. Maybe it gives them some good experience, you know, playing against Georgia in the first week. But I think they're being undervalued here. USC is being overvalued. I'm sure that's going to be part of your case for Utah. But give me the Ducks. We lost a few games. Tough. Or the Ducks. Yeah. And the Ducks yeah. are undefeated. Quack, 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 So make your case for your beloved Utes. Well, I, I don't disagree with you on Oregon. I actually think they're the ones who face Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. So you're getting good value with a team that I think is going to meet Utah. And I love Bonix going there. We are a Bonix podcast, and hopefully his accuracy will pick up with his arm strength. Decision-making has come along, and we kind of have with Bo Nix exactly what we're seeing with Dylan Gabriel, right? You meet up with your offensive coordinator from, from your freshman year, and hopefully magical turnout. So I think Oregon's going to completely rebound from losing Travis Dye. I think their defensive interior is – insanely good for the Pac-12 and their offensive line is going to get them through. So I I do like them, but Utah for me is the team that's going to win this conference and hopefully with one loss so they can make the playoff. I mean, I've been calling for Utah to make the playoff for years, but you know, they're getting 72% of their offense back, 66% back on defense. More importantly, they're hosting the USC game, which is probably going to be the tiebreaker needed to get into the Pac-12 championship game. Utah is going to be favored in every single game this season, albeit a close pick against Florida, USC, and Oregon. And Cam Rising is a Heisman dark horse candidate. There's there's no doubt about it. You can't watch that Rose Bowl film and not think that. If he brings that every week, he can win the Heisman, which would be crazy for a quarterback west of the Mississippi River, a quarterback that most people on the East Coast won't see. He returns uh, 60% of his most of his weapons in the backfield on the outside, 60% of his offensive line snaps. Uh, you know, he's going to use a bunch of tight ends. Tavian Thomas is still there. He was second in the Pac-12 in broken tackles per attempt. Uh, so, I mean, they have it everywhere in every single unit. They're going to run quick game passing, zone runs, occasional bombs from rising. I just, you know, they were top 10 and third downs last year. They're extremely well coached. Uh, and then the defense is probably what leads Utah all these years. And it's going to happen this year, too. They're going to get 79% of their PBUs back. Uh, that's a, that's great for defensive coordinator Morgan Scally. He's running that 4-2-5. Uh, it gives a lot of teams in the Pac-12 issues. I, that's going to continue. They were 13th in Havoc last year. I don't see that dropping off. Uh, and so the win total, I think, is a solid bet at 9. I projected at 10.8. But the better bet is... This is the Oklahoma treatment from our Big 12 conferences in the past. Do you see Utah finishing third in this conference? Highly unlikely. So I would take a Pac-12 championship ticket in my pocket and just I cannot see a way this team falls to third in the conference. So I think I'm kind of playing the same angle as you. I think Oregon's great too. I just would rather take a game of the year on their schedule than wrap up a season-long investment when I'm almost more positive that Utah is a team that's going to be in that championship game. Yeah, I mean, Utah's not without question. I mean, they did lose two offensive linemen in the NFL. They lost their top four tacklers. The one thing that I, you know, the linebacker is the big question with Utah. Their defensive line is going to be fine. 
their secondary should actually improve significantly just by getting a bunch of guys back from injury. If you recall that Ohio State game when um, the Jigba went bananas, uh, they, had, they had a running back playing corner in that game because yep. they had so many injuries. So their secondary situation, while there is some questions at one corner spot, should be significantly better because they get a bunch of guys back from injury. Um, how how big is the loss of Britton Kobe? They do get five of the top other six receivers back, and their tight end room might be the best in all of college football. Um, they do a five conference away games plus that Florida to start the year. I'm at you're, you're 10, eight. Wow. Uh, I'm at like nine, seven. Um, so I would certainly lean over, but it's a pass for me. And yeah, I mean, I'm double digit favorite seven times. I have them. I actually have them as a small underdog at Oregon, a small favorite at Florida. And then three other times they're favored around seven points. So, you know, 10 times they're a favorite of a touchdown or more per my numbers. Um, and then you have coin flips, coin flipish games against Oregon and Florida because I'm lower on USC. I mean, I have Utah at home as like a seven point favorite as of right now against USC. Did you say Utes? Yeah, Utes. Yeah. So the USC went to over nine and a half minus 110. Utah's over. You know, you can get over eight and a half minus 170 or over nine. And then Oregon is over eight and a half minus 130. I, I like that. I'm at nine and a half for Oregon. So I would play that over too, but I prefer the conference future just because there's a, there's uncertainty with Knicks, um, you know, and the receivers. So, you know, instead of the win total, I think if they get to nine wins, assuming Georgia's a loss, they're going to be in the Pac 12 title game. Um, so I prefer the plus 300 there. But let's talk. USC, very polarizing team in the offseason. Obviously, you know, we want to talk about transfer quarterbacks. They have one. Caleb Williams came from Oklahoma, as did Lincoln Riley. And Mario Williams, they crushed the transfer portal, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You, know, you add in the Blitnikoff winner and Jordan Addison from Pitt late. So their wide receiver room is absolutely loaded. They have skill position players for days. You can just go down the lineup. Go down the roster and be like, wow, he, he, he wow, okay, wow. They they crushed the portal. You have Lincoln Riley in there now. I think they were, I have him rated as the number one transfer portal team in the country. He brings Alex Grinch over as his new defensive coordinator, new scheme in at USC, and then there's new offensive coordinator, but Riley will call the plays there. Last year, USC went four and eight. A very disappointing year for them. Obviously, an upgrade at coach. They could start 11 transfers. Depth is sort of an issue, but the biggest thing is what is going to what, – what can Riley do in one year with this roster? The offense should be excellent, but there are questions on the offensive line in regards to depth, although the Virginia transfer tackle is not projected starter right now, so maybe some of the younger players are showing out well in camp. But, I mean, I didn't even mention a lot of that. Travis Dye from Oregon, Rice, the wide receiver from Colorado. I mean, you, you can go on and on and on. And the defense has, I think, the biggest questions on the team for me. It's getting rave reviews from Lincoln Riley, but that's coach speak. <laughs> uh, there's certainly questions at cornerback outside of Blackman. Big get. He's their top corner from Colorado. Just mentioned Oregon starting corner from Colorado. Colorado lost both of their starting cornerbacks. We'll get to the Buffaloes. Interconference that will start for two of the favorites in the league. So there's new schemes. There's lots of transfers. You do at least have a, a head coach with his, you know, who's calling call plays who brought his quarterback over. But I have questions in the trenches on both sides. It's a sexy team. You know, if you look Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, all the talent they brought in the transfer portal. But I definitely think it's an overvalued team. High variance here. How's it all going to work? I project them. Their win totals nine and a half over nine and a half minus one ten. I project them eight, nine. So I lean under here. And that's, you know, I mean, remember, this is a team that's 22 and 21 over the past four years. Um, they do miss Washington and Oregon on the schedule. But as we mentioned, they do go to Utah and they go to UCLA. They also have Notre Dame on the schedule and Fresno State at home also, which might be a tricky group of five opponent. So, yeah, I mean, I, it was hard for me to project where USC is going to be just because there's so much unknown. There's so much uncertainty here with how good this offense actually can be 
what is a defense going to look like under Grinch? We don't necessarily love with a scheme change. So, yeah, I'm still under. You know, you could tell me you're at eight and a half. You could tell me you're nine and a half. I probably won't bet it just because of how much uh, uncertainty there are in there. It's just not enough of an edge for me to play. But I'd certainly lean under. That's the way I would go. It's under or nothing. You like the under here. Oh, I love the under here. Uh, it opened up nine and a half, I think, plus 130 at FanDuel. So I was happy enough to go lay into that number as much as I could uh, a few months ago. And now it's down to minus 110. I project this 8.2. And I think there's a lot of USC that we see in LSU. We can't accurately project this team through a spreadsheet. Uh, number one in players gained through the portal, 20 players gained. Number three in number of snaps gained through the portal. They're over 13,000. So, you know, it's the same thing with LSU. Like, how many of these guys do we have? Does that mean that we're not going to have any depth issues? Does that mean we're going to have locker room clashes about starting playing time? And, you know, without revealing any sources or anything, there's already rumblings going on within that locker room about some players not getting their NIL deals, some players not getting what they were promised, some players not happy with the fact that Caleb Williams had 416 uh, run, 416 yards last year on designed runs and that he's not giving that up. There's not enough balls to go around for the number of players that came in on this offense. So if you were somebody that was close to getting 20 targets a game and now you're shaved down to eight targets a game, that's not going to sit real well with you. And we're already starting to hear some whispers come out that, um, you know, some players are not happy with how many times they're going to see the ball. So we'll see how that plays out from a locker room perspective. Uh, And no one is questioning that this team can score 50 points a game. Uh, The skill positions are some of the best in the nation, but how are they going to deal with less targets and less touches? And, you know, for the defense, a complete unknown. That's the reason why my power rating didn't go up very much for USC. A lot of questions on defense. Now Alex Grinch comes in and, you know, he can get that havoc number going. He can bump that up into the top 25 like he has at Washington State, like he did at Oklahoma. But this USC defense was bottom 15 in tackling, finishing drives, and a lot of other categories. There's a lot of work to do here. Uh, and, And so, you know, I think their edge positions have some questions. Their linebackers have some questions. And I can see USC being 7-0 heading into October 15th against Utah. But there are offenses on this schedule, and we're going to talk about them because they're all conference games, that can put up points in a flash. Stanford, Fresno, Oregon State, Wazoo, these teams can score in bunches and score fast. But they're kind of a watered-down version of USC. They can't defend. So there's going to be a lot of 51-50 ball games. And if you're going to say that this team has to win you know, 10 out of 12 to get over their win total and a bunch of games where the opponent scores at least 40, I'm taking the under here. I mean, I projected 8.2, but throw that out. There's no answers on this defense. So, you know, if they're not efficient enough to keep opponents out of the end zone and a league full of, you know, rising offenses, I'm going to take the under. Yeah. Yeah. I have them favored over a touchdown eight times, double digit favorite seven. And I have them like minus four at Oregon state plus seven, as I mentioned, at Utah. And then they have two true coin flips to close the year, Notre Dame at home and then at UCLA, or in reverse order, they close with Notre Dame at home. But the, you, know, the, the, you bring in all the skill position talent with Lincoln Riley. If you're a USC fan, what you're saying is the offensive line was pretty good last year from a metric standpoint, and they started two freshmen at tack, both tackles for the first seven games. So there's a lot to like about the offense. Is The question is, what can the defense do um, you know, in potential Pac-12 shootouts. But, yeah, I think it's under or nothing here, but certainly a high-variance team. So we'll, do, we'll close out the old South. UCLA over 8.5 plus 100. I, I project them at 8.59 wins. Lots of coaching changes here. You have a new OC, no new DC, other coaches on the staff. But you do have DTR back at quarterback. Um, of course, Chip Kelly back at head coach and he's going to be the offense coordinator calling plays. They're very transfer reliant, which is a theme in the pack 12 this year. What do you see with UCLA here? I do have them a double digit favorite seven times. Um, I have a double digit dog once three coin flips and like plus six or seven against Utah, who they do host. They do have a pretty easy schedule for UCLA because you start out Bowling Green at home, Alabama state at home, South Alabama at home, at Colorado, home against Washington, before a home date against Utah. Realistic, you're starting 5-0 and and building a lot of momentum, gelling with you know a lot of these transfers who are coming in, new coaches, some new schemes. So that's the, the feel-good story about UCLA. You can build a lot of momentum 
early, but you do lose your top three pass catchers, two to the NFL. You lose three offensive line starters, your offensive line coach. Um, you know, you only, they only played two defensive linemen a lot last year. They lost both of them. They lost their top three linebackers. Their entire front seven is transfer reliant. And their D was great against the run last year and awful against the pass. And they lost almost, you know, they're replacing almost their entire front seven. But the schedule leads me to, I would lean over here, but like I said, I make it 8.6. It's over eight and a half plus a hundred. What do you see with uh, UCLA and chip by the way, has two wins in his tenure at UCLA against teams with a winning record. Only two. What a stat. I didn't even know that. Uh, I love UCLA. They were our most fun team to bet on last year. Uh, I knew DTR was going to have improvement over quarterback coach when Ryan Gunderson came in from San Jose state. And we saw that in the numbers, it was his best year yet. Uh, He also had a lot less pressure last year. I think that should be noted that is it coaching or is it the fact that he had an offensive line stand up and yeah, Zach Charbonnet comes back at running back and this should be an elite ground attack, but there's a lot of missing snaps on this offensive line. Uh, You know, I I think, you know, they were a top 25, they got Dorian Thompson Robinson to be top 25 and turnover worthy uh, play rate. Uh, of all P5 quarterbacks, and that's a major step up from him. And he was 13th in, in average depth of target and 16th highest in PFF grading of all P5 quarterbacks. But the offensive line has a ton of replacements, especially on the interior, and that makes me a little bit nervous, not just about DTR throwing and passing downs, but how quick are they going to get into passing downs when you have taken a couple of hits in the backfield and we don't know if you're going to be able to rush the ball as well, get those highlight yards, get those opportunity rate and stuff rate because the offensive line – is replacing some new guys. And then you look over on the defensive side of the ball, not that Jerry Asanero was adding anything as a defensive coordinator, but we are going to have a change in who the coordinator is. Uh, with only two returning starters. With only two returning starters, yeah. I mean, they were below 50% in TARP. Uh, and, and, you know, they're going to get a, a wealthy amount of pressures back. But other than that, you know, I mean, and they have transfers coming in. The reason why I had them up around 80% of their pressures coming back is because of edge rushers, Grayson and Gabriel Murphy, brothers that are coming in to play the edge position. Uh, UCLA is one of those teams that dipped into Wyoming. Wyoming is acting like a double-A farm system for for everybody in college football this year. Uh, But they do get corner Aziz Hearn. Uh, So, you know, I I put them at 8.1. I'm not taking, I'm not running to get an under, but there's no way I'm taking it over because I have issues with what they have on the interior offensive line and a ground-based attack with a quarterback that has to have a clean pocket. That's not a good formula. So as much as I loved them last year, we kind of put UCLA to bed and we'll see how it turns out. And we'll pick our spots on this schedule. Yeah, lose 10 of their top 15 tacklers. The defense is the unit to watch. Um, you know, and they got also have to have some pass catchers step up. But the defense, you know, new scheme, new coaches, and and the offensive line too. That the offensive line could really stunt the offense well. So there's a lot of questions. Very transfer reliant. So a lot of variance with UCLA. Speaking of uh, a high variance team of transfers, Arizona State over five and a half minus one fifty five or over six. You know, I really interesting team because is Herm Edwards going to make it through the year? What is going to happen? They're you know all of this just a crazy offseason. And they've had a crazy couple of years dealing with all of the off the field stuff that has served as a potential distraction for Arizona State. They only returned seven total starters, three on offense, four on defense. That's the fewest in the Pac-12. And one of their projected starters, Mattis, their defensive end, got hurt yesterday's out for the year. Huge loss for a defensive line that was going to have to carry this defense. You know, Herm Edwards and a new defensive coordinator – they do know secondary as well, and that's their strength. But they lost two corners to the NFL. They also lost a defensive lineman in the NFL. They had a, a linebacker who just found his way onto the Raiders rosters. They lost four defenders in the, to the NFL. And, you know, one of their best defensive linemen to the transfer portal, they lost their defensive coordinator from a defense that I had in the top 15 uh, to finish the year last year. The defense was excellent last year. It carried Arizona State. I have to mention penalties. Penalties have been a major, major issue with Arizona State. We've seen that for years. But Herm Edwards, for all the shit that he's dealt with, he has gotten them to bowl eligibility at least in all five years. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. Lots of questions with this team, including who's going to start at quarterback, right? Uh, You have... Tyson, the Alabama transfer, and then Emory Jones, who I thought would be named the starter. 
I, I haven't seen anything today or yesterday. Herm Edwards said he's going to name them shortly. He's keeping this tight to his vest. He doesn't, he doesn't want to disclose who the starter is. So Northern Arizona finds out in week one. I don't know. Um, I would assume Emory Jones gets the job, but I'm not sure. Um, they, you know, they lost their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, who transferred to LSU. They're two leading rushers, three offensive linemen, top two wide receivers. They had more than a dozen scholarship players transfer. And, you know, the offensive line is going to be extremely transfer reliant. And there's some shuffling of positions there. You could start six transfers on offense and four on defense. There's, as I mentioned, their secondary was gutted. They lost a defensive end to injury, really important defensive end to injury yesterday. So now they're bound eight of their top nine tacklers for last year from last year. Um, so, you know, they do avoid Oregon out of the North and they get to host Utah and UCLA. They do go to USC. Their road games are Oklahoma state, USC, Stanford, Colorado, Washington state, and Arizona. Not terrible when you have Colorado, Washington state, Arizona, and Stanford there. I project them and I was shocked. They're what are they're over six? I project them at like six, eight. Um, now obviously there's a lot going on with this team with only six now, six returning starters, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. We still don't know who the quarterback is, extremely transfer line, but I would lean over here with Arizona State. Probably might come down to their season finale though at Arizona. What are your thoughts here? I completely agree, which is why I like the over five and a half when it came out more than I like the six. So if you're shopping around there, I do like the over, but I would really work hard to see if you can find and see if a five and a half is still out there. This is one of the highest fluidity rates in the portal out there. I mean, we've mentioned LSU and USC so far, but Arizona State's right up there. 13 players gained through the portal, over 10,000 snaps gained from the portal. Both of those are top 10 in their respective categories. Losing Jaden Daniels to LSU, but gaining Emory Jones – Believe it or not, the numbers say that Emory Jones is a net positive. Is it is a positive? He's more safe at the quarterback position overall. So, uh, you know, there a lot of positions are like this. They brought guys in from the portal that are going to be as good as what they had, or even better. Uh, and they're going to be able to run the ball. 60% of the offensive line is back uh, from the snap, from a snap perspective uh, with the, with the transfers coming in and running, uh, you know, running back transfer to uh, Xavier and Valaday joins from Wyoming. There we go with the Wyoming uh, farm system again. And, you know, they got plenty of defensive players back. It's going to be a little bit of question whether they can tackle. They lost so much out of the secondary uh, and, and, you know, defensive tackle nested Jade Silvera comes over from Miami to stabilize the defensive line. And he was 18th in run defense grading of all P5 defensive interior players. So what I'm saying is, is we've lost a lot of brand names that you remember from this Arizona state team, but we've backfilled with players that had just as good advanced statistics as the players that were already there. So I didn't understand what the huge drop-off was, uh, for books to like post this at five and a half. It's at six. I make it seven. I would still bet over, over six. Uh, I would bet it for a lot lighter. See if you can five, find five and a half. But this is a play on team. And if you don't think Herm Edwards is not going into that final game against Arizona with five wins and not like pumping them up to the max to get that, you know, bowl eligible win. And and that might be their Super Bowl, right? That might be their bowl game is that Arizona game if they get, you know, canned from going to postseason, uh, having postseason eligibility. So, yeah, definitely. I think that they can hit the six mark and I would play the over. Yeah, I don't have them as a double-digit underdog in any games this year. I mean, I have them plus nine at home against Utah, plus nine at USC. But um, they have a lot of coin flips on the schedule, but certainly an intriguing team. I think I'm probably going to wait to see how everything shakes out and then play them on a game-to-game basis. But I would, my numbers say, bet the over. And also whoever wins the quarterback position. But penalties and special teams can harm. you got to clean both of those issues up. Let's stay in the same state and go to Arizona over two and a half minus 165 over three uh, around even money. I I make this win total 4.03. And there's a chance that Arizona could be one of the most improved teams in the country. They were one in 11 last year, but they were one in five in one possession games. They were 130th in turnover margin, negative 17 turnover margin. They obviously were extremely unlucky on offense with the quarterback injuries. They had, what, three quarterbacks get hurt. And then on defense, they only had six takeaways. That Don Brown aggressive blitzing defense caused six takeaways. That's the fewest in the past 25 years for a team. It forced four fumbles and two interceptions. 
that's just yeah, crazy. Non-COVID year, by the way, there was fewer by some teams in 2020. New defensive coordinator comes in. You see more zone, less blitz. Um, I would assume that you're going to get more takeaways this year, just uh, simple regression to the mean after last year. One of the, th the two things that give me some hesitation with Arizona, if you do look at their schedule, you know, I have them as a seven-plus point dog seven times, double-digit dog five of those seven. I have, a, I have them favored in two games, right? So – yeah, maybe three. I, North Dakota State, I got to do work on, but I, I assume that's a kind of a coin flip game. Because one of their home games against North Dakota State, who's the best FCS team, I still have to do work in projecting that spread, but I'm assuming it's around a coin flip. Um, they start open the season plus six at San Diego State. It shows you what the market, what odds makers think of this Arizona team. But I have them favored, you know, by 10 at home against Colorado. I have them, you know, favored at, at home. By around four or five points against Washington State, Arizona State at home last game of the year, sort of a coin flip um, at Cal, sort of a coin flip. So there's some winnable games on this schedule, but they do face all of the league's top teams. Plus, you know, it is a very tough non-conference schedule. They start at San Diego State and they get Mississippi State at home. But they have, like I said, they have four very winnable games plus that, you know, and at Cal, you could argue five very winnable games on the schedule. It's over two and a half, over three. I project four looks pretty intriguing the two major questions that i do have is you know there's a lot of freshmen and they were the top 25 recruiting class this year and one of the reasons jed fish was able to do that is he promised them a lot of playing time and he said look come here and you can play so there's some really talented freshmen that are going to play so you know again kind of like transfers with a lot of variance with how that's actually going to work out semi-risky and then Jaden delara who comes in from Washington State, um, will be the starting quarterback for Arizona. Jed Fish, his system, pro-style system, very similar to the Rams and what the Rams run, a lot of the same concepts. It's a completely different system for Delora, who's struggled at times in fall camp. And it's, you know, it's all about timing. And last year with all these quarterbacks, they kept saying how complex the offense is. So changing, Delora has gone from a completely different scheme, you know, doing a 180 in the scheme coming from Washington State to Arizona. So how is that going to work out? But this is certainly a team that is on the rise compared to last year, positive regression candidate. I'm very close to, this is the, my last scratch. So I'm very close to adding this over. You, you agree here? You like the over on Arizona? Yeah, I'm over Arizona. Project them at four. I'll take over three at minus 115. This is one of the toughest schedules in Power Five. They're opening up Snapdragon Stadium against San Diego State. They got Miss State on there, North Dakota State. If that game would have been played at the end of last season, Sagarin would have made that game 16. So we'll see if Arizona has made it up in power rating points. Uh, they return 86% of the offense, uh, but just half of their offensive line snaps. So we mentioned Jaden Delore having you know issues in fall camp, but he's not going to get any protection, and neither is any quarterback that comes in there for a while. He had really good numbers at Washington State. I mean, he was 28 to 13 TD to INT. He had five rushing TDs, and, you know, he was top 20 in average depth of target. Uh, but he does make a lot of mistakes. They do get wide receiver Jacob Cowing transferring in from UTEP. How good Minor is Nation. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. Yeah. Minor Nation was um, went to a bowl and they were cruising last year. Jacob Cowing, 3.82 yards per route run. Uh, you need two to be an explosive player. To be considered an explosive player, he's almost doubled that up. So we can expect plenty of play action from offensive coordinator Brandon Carroll. Uh, and then you look at the other side of the ball. You know, Don Brown's out. He's now the uh, UMass head coach. Good luck to you. Solve your problems with aggression. Okay, sit there and go, oh, we're going to read this pull. We're going to run up there. Fuck that. Let's go. Uh, defensive corner coordinator Johnny Nazim comes in. First time coordinator role for him. 67% of the defense is back. Nearly all of the passes defense from last year is going to return. So at least there's some experience there. And, you know, Zona was dead last in turnover margin last year. I mean, there nobody had a bigger turnover margin error issue problem than Arizona. So you think maybe that would regress a little bit? Hopefully at least some coaching is around for that. So, you know, the schedule's tough, but three wins is not tough to get over. They definitely have the portal talent that has come in. Uh, you know, they've shored up their coaching staff a little bit. I think there's going to be more stability at the quarterback position. If we can get the offensive line to 
you know, <laughs> get within the top 100 in line yards and, and pass blocking, this team can get to four wins on the schedule. So uh, you're right. They're the, they're the best, biggest rising team in, in the Pac-12 right now. Yep. Yeah, I think it's over or nothing. I think they're heading in the right direction. It's definitely an overplay or nothing. All right, let's move on to we'll close out the old south with Colorado. Uh, over three and a half plus one forty-five out there, juiced under three and a half. I love this under. I love it to death. Um, I project them at two point three one wins. Uh, I would be surprised if Darrell makes it through the year or into next year. I'm not a fan quarterback competition here. I'm not a fan of Brendan Lewis. I think he's terrible. I'm not a fan, uh, you know, JT Shroud, the Tennessee transfer, who knows what you're going to get with him. But the defense, 121st in returning production. Like I mentioned before, they lost both starting quarterbacks. Interconference, that was their strength of their defense last year. There's also massive holes to fill. Linebacker, they're transitioning to a 4-3-D. And the offense lost a ton from skill position stamp. I mean, this team just got crushed in the portal. They also lost a very productive punter to the portal. Uh, there's just nothing I like about this team. And then when I look at their schedule, their schedule is absolutely vicious. They play, I mean, you know, you know, you have a bad schedule when you play. Let me pull up their schedule. Hold on. They play, this is their non-conference. TCU at Air Force at Minnesota. They play 11 power five teams. And their one exception is at Air Force. That is brutal they are having double digit dogs in 11 games and then a small home favorite against cal good luck getting the four wins they hired new offense coordinator mike sanford who i don't like they have six overall uh like carl durrell i it's just look they were plus 16 turnover margin last year two and one in one possession games they got to four wins and they got to play an fcs team now instead of the fcs team they're playing you know at air force they lost six starters to the portal 19 players overall, six new coaches, those five of their top seven tacklers on D. Their defensive line will be decent. If they go up against any team with an offensive line, their secondary is going to get shredded. There's freshmen all over in camp starting. Um, there is uh, Their schedule is just brutal, too. Tough. They mentioned their non-conference, and they play the top six projected teams, all six in the Pac-12. Their winnable games, I guess you could argue, are at Arizona, home against Cal, and home against Arizona State. They win all three, they get to three. I don't know where the fourth is coming from. Um, God, this team's bad, under. <laughs> well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the new offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford Jr., possibly our most favorite coach to fade in college football history. Uh, if you're not familiar with the podcast or familiar with listening to us about Sanford, uh, he had a stint at Boise, didn't go well, went to Notre Dame. They only won four games. Went to Western Kentucky. They were lifeless on offense for a couple of years. Utah State was chased out of there, and then he takes over for Kirk Soraka at Minnesota, and now guess what? Soraka's back. He's not there. Everywhere he has been, the offense has declined in every single way that you can look at it. This is his seventh different school since 2013, if that tells you. Uh, like <laughs> how this guy must have nudes. He has some nudes on like every coach. Uh, yeah, I don't know how he. I don't know how he's in the, in the Power Five. I thought he would regress even farther. Maybe get some uh, FCS schools going on, but. I, you know, I could go through everything Stuck just said, but I agree with him. The offense is just, uh, you know, that Brandon Lewis was a forgettable quarterback. Uh, took 31 total sacks. I don't see that stopping. JT Shrout hasn't played since his 42 attempts for Tennessee in 2020. Uh, I don't know how RJ Sneed transferred there. Must have been a hell of an NIL deal. Uh, he's a great, pos- great possession receiver if he's used correctly, uh, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. So I agree with Stuck. I like the under here, but more importantly, that TCU line in week one, that should be about 14, maybe higher. Uh, I think it's going to stop at about 13 and a half and teeter. I took it uh, game of the year at 10. I'm sorry, game of the year. It's week one, but week one, uh, I took TCU minus 10. Why? Because you're giving me Mike Sanford Jr. at offensive coordinator versus Joseph Gillespie as a defensive coordinator. That's a joke. So good yeah. luck. Good luck to the Colorado freshman in the secondary against those receivers at TCU. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we're fade city on the buffs all year. Yep. Um, yeah, there are two transfers at cornerback really crushed them because you can do a lot if you have two really good corners and they both transferred late intra-conference. Um, all right, let's move on to the old north. We already covered Oregon. Let's go to Washington. 
which was a complete disaster last year under Jimmy Lake. Whole new staff now. You bring in Kalen DeBoer's head coach. He brought his offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, with him from Fresno. And you had two new co-defensive coordinators from Fresno. Basically a Fresno coaching staff now. Washington was 117th in turnover margin, three and five in one possession games, en route to a four and eight record, including an opening season loss to, at home to Montana, which really set the tone. The quarterback play was almost offensive, putrid all year long. They had, what did they have, 10, 10 touchdown passes and 15 interceptions? It's just something disgusting. Um, it, it was absolutely horrible from start to finish at quarterback. Uh, I, but I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism. In Seattle, and I like the over this year. I like over seven and a half minus 115. I played, I think you can get over seven and a half minus 120 minus 125. I think DeBoer is gonna be I mean, Jimmy. Like, things were just messy, even off the field. I, there's nothing was going right. Quarterback play should improve tremendously with Michael Penix, who is transferring in from Indiana. And Penix Penix. I say his name wrong every year. I'm going to say it wrong all year again. Um, I say it different. Get it out time. of the way that you're not going to get El Paso in Missouri. Can we just get it out of the way for everybody? No, that's my Delco roots showing <laughs> from from Philly. But the, uh, the, there's a couple names that I just always forget how to pronounce, and then I while I'm doing the uh, podcast. But I I used to say Penix, but it, it is Penix. But I'm going to say Penix. I, I bet a couple more times this year. Um, but Penix comes in and he thrived in Indiana in 2019 under then offensive coordinator DeBoer. This is a, a theme that we mentioned with Bo Nix, Dylan Gabriel. And so I think there's going to be improved quarterback play, at least just competent quarterback play, improved play calling. The offense should be a lot better. Uh, the defense does have to replace two first team all Pac 12 cornerbacks who got drafted. That is a major question. Another defensive back also signed with the Bengals recently. So that's three defensive backs for one of the best pass defenses in the country last year. But one of the reasons, you know, they were really talented corners, but everyone just ran all over Washington. Their run defense was horrific. Scheme change in that department, they were running the, you know, the, the two, four, five. Uh, they're going to come in here and you're going to see more of a traditional four, two, five. I actually like the fit for this defense, and that should improve their run defense significantly. You're not going to be able to just run. Through them, I think Dom Hampton fits in at the Husky position really well. They'll have a lot more bulk, I think, up front. You got to hope ZTF is healthy and flashes, you know, what we saw a couple of years ago because uh, Ulo Fushia, that linebacker, I think is going to be out to like midseason. But they did add Cam Bright from Pitt, their captain at linebacker, which will help. And, you know, so I, I think that this team is on the upswing from a coaching and quarterback perspective, which are the most important pieces based on what we saw last year. And then if you look at their schedule, um, you know, their toughest games are at Oregon and at UCLA, where we can count those as losses. And if we want, I mean, they're not not winnable, but let's count them as losses. I have them you know, going over seven. I have them double-digit favorites in eight games. And then and then a couple coin flips. Um, so, you know, you start off – I even have them small favorites against Michigan State, which others might not have. They start off at home against Kent State and Portland State. I think that's really important. This isn't an Oregon State we'll talk about next who has like Boise and Fresno to start. When you're going to have a new quarterback, you're going to have new coaches. They should start out 2-0 here, build some nice momentum. Then you get Michigan State at home, then Stanford at home. Um, so I, I like how this schedule starts out. You avoid USC and Utah out of the South. Very easy home schedule. So there's a lot of really easy home games that they should pick up here. I think they get to at least eight wins. A lot of it's based on schedule. Um, but I also like the the coaching and the quarterback upgrade. So I'm going over with Washington. Yeah, lots of positives here. Kalen DeBoer, we knew when he was an offensive coordinator at Indiana that he was going to be a great head coach and he was going to take that, uh, you know, and we, I, we didn't know he was going to go out to the West Coast of Fresno. We didn't know he's going to end up at Washington as the head coach. But, you know, not only is this an easy schedule, Kalen DeBoer knows how to win on the road because UCLA, a team that they considered one of the toughest road games, Fresno beat UCLA in Pasadena last year. So DeBoer's no stranger to winning on the road. Uh, you know, there's so much room for improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they were 118th in line yards and 120th in defending standard downs explosiveness. The defense for Jimmy Lake was just as bad as the offense. 
And this is a conference that's, you know, extremely offensive happy. Uh, so, you know, they're, I think that the room, the defensive level is going to get turned up a little bit from what they had last year. Uh, they have co-coordinators going in at William Inge and Chuck Morrow. They're going to have their hands full because, you know, they, they're not going to get any of their PBUs back from their back seven from last year. Uh, Asa Turner did turco- take over the safety position halfway through last year. So that's a real positive for them because that doesn't show up in the numbers for a full season. And the Huskies get 85% of their offense back. 80% of their offensive line. So whether it's Michael Penix Jr. or Sam Heward or Dylan Morris, at least they're going to be protected. Maybe not in that Kent State game. They've already announced tackle Jackson Kirkland. Uh, he's not going to line up in the opener, but it shouldn't matter against Kent State's defensive line. Um, you know, an offensive according to Ryan Grubb crumbs with DeBoer from Fresno. So there's a lot of familiarity here. Uh, there's a lot of success in the past for Kalen DeBoer. Uh, I think Washington at, at over, over seven and a half minus 130, probably the last number you want to take from a juice perspective. Uh, but I project this at nine, like Stucky said, at least eight games where they're favored. Uh, so, you know, this, to me, this isn't over all the way. My question is, is can they get into the Pac-12 championship game by not having Utah and USC on this schedule? It's, they win at Oregon on November 12th. It's a possibility, but not going to go that high yet until, you know, we see that the uh, the offense is is capable of having explosive plays as well as some of these other offenses that we know about. Yeah, I'm not quite as high as nine, but I I'm closer to eight and a half. But um, right around, right, actually slightly below, but at eight and a half over seven and a half. I like a lot to like about this team. Uh, let's move on to Oregon State over five and a half minus one eighty or over six, depending on the juice that you know closer to even money depending on the book that you shop. And by the way, make sure you shop around. As always, uh, offensive line was dominant last year, should be really good this year, but they lose all the receivers, an NFL running back, an NFL tight end. Their defense is experienced. Defensive line must be better. Um, it looks like Chance Nolan won the quarterback job. This team is boring to me. Um, I don't really care. I, I And one of the reasons is – and look, they start off with Boise and then at Fresno, which is probably going to determine their win total, those two games. I project them at six – point zero 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 like literally to the thousandth uh decimal point i think that they probably end six and six they get the bowl eligibility which is right around where their win total is nothing here yeah yeah the juice is on the under and that's where it should be because i'm around six uh and you know but listen they're loaded at quarterback at least from an experience perspective uh you know chance nolan returns from last year 2020 starter tristan gebby is in there the running backs are going to try to replace them with Deshaun Fenwick and Trey Lowe. They're going to try to replicate all the success that they've had in the past. I think it's possible. They get 76% of their offensive line snaps. I mean, it's not as explosive as what we've had on the ground in the past, but that's just what the offense is going to be. The defense loses more than 50% of their tackles. And when Stucky says boring, really it kind of means more of the same. Uh, defense has always been the issue with Oregon State. They've always had a powerful ground game. They do have a lot of experience at quarterback, so maybe they'll be more successful in passing downs, third down and third and long. Uh, we'll got to get some explosiveness. They're really lacking yeah. in that department here. Yeah, and and I think they're they're a team that can make a bowl game. So I, I think it's an under here. Seeing them win seven I probably is, is less probable than them just winning six. Yeah, I think they go six and six. But that, if they – you know, if they sweep Boise and Fresno to start the year, yeah. those are coin flippish games. Um, then they're going to go over. If they don't, if they lose both, they're at risk of going five and seven. If they split, then they're probably going to go six and six. No bet there. Uh, let's move on to Stanford. Talk about boring. Same, <laughs> same coordinators, same staff, same play calling, same boring offense. They do have an NFL. A quarterback who I'm very high on with his potential in the NFL and Tanner McKee back, but um, and some promising talent at receiver. But and also, you're going to hear a lot about EJ Smith, the running back, Emmett Smith's son. But the recruiting is dipped on the farm, and uh, things have just been going downhill for Stanford, who was 116th EPA per play on both offense and defense last year. Their secondary was 127th in EPA per pass. They had a bottom five rushing offense and defense last year. They're 11 and 19 the past three years. This program is just going like this. Uh, it is, uh, they lost seven straight to close the year last year. Like I mentioned, recruiting is dipped, and they have a brutal schedule. They face the top four teams from the South or the Old South. They play BYU, they play Notre Dame, all outside of their, their old division. They have an early bye, which might not help. They have one free win, I guess. 
against Colgate to start the year. What's, right? I, what's I don't, the attendance for that Colgate Stanford game, considering kids on, aren't on campus in Stanford till like September 27th? What do you think? 100 people are going to show up to that Colgate game? Well, there'll be a lot of people drinking wine in the uh, tailgating, the, the, the Stanford wine tailgates, but not, not yet. Not many in the actual stadium. But yeah, one free win. I have a favorite in one game, like a significant favorite, more than a field goal. One game that's at Colgate to start the year. I project them, you know, their, to- their win total is over four and a half plus 105. I predict them 4.25. So it's a pass for me, but it's definitely a program on the decline pass for me. I think the win total is about right. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to like this team coming into this season, especially with Tanner McKee coming back. And, uh, you know, McKee was boomer bust. He had a big time throw rate that was in the top 30 of all power five quarterbacks. He was also outside the top 50 in turnover worthy play rate. So, you know, it's a lot of highlights and then there's a lot of things that you don't want on the highlight reel. So the defense switches from a three, four to a four, three under coordinator Lance Anderson. Their goal is to get more players into the backfield to cause some havoc. The size isn't there. It's a scheme change. There's a lot of things going on with this defense. There's a lot of work to do here with these guys. I'm not going to take an under because they can upset. They did upset. They have upset before. They remind me of a lot of other Pac-12 teams. They can score at any time on offense. They're going to have explosive plays. Can't play a lick of defense. Out of all the defenses that are inept in this conference, this one might be the worst. I'm going to say they're going to be in a lot of games that they shouldn't be, and the defense is going to leave them short. And for that matter, I took Stanford plus 11 for game of the year. It's a number that I make seven and a half against USC. Uh, I think 11 is too high. I believe that'll be below 10 when we get closer to the game. But if USC's defense is not capable of stopping tip ball university, Tanner McKee's going to get protection from that offensive line and he's going to make things happen. So I took game of the year plus 11 on the Cardinal. Uh, I, nothing for me on the under perspective, because I do think they are going to get a couple of upsets throughout the schedule. All right, let's move on to Cal over five and a half plus 100. I'm strongly into the under. I project 4.6. This offense only brings back two starters. It's the most inexperienced offense in the Pac-12. Ten of their 12, top 12 highest snap count players on offense last year are gone, including a four-year starting quarterback in Chase Carvers. They bring in Plummer from Purdue at quarterback. He had similar stats to Garbers, but here's the thing. He's not mobile, and that's what you need. Last year, Garbers, 79 rushes for 604 yards, seven and a half yards per carry. That was 15% of their offense. Plummer's not mobile, and there are major questions on this offensive line. They also lost six of their top eight tacklers on defense. Um, this roster is a mess. I don't think Blummer's actually going to work out because he's not mobile. Um, and that was one of the strengths of Garbers last year. So, you know, their wide receivers have 33 career catches. You lost their star safety and your main sack linebacker to the NFL. Also, they, they're underdogs. They're double-digit underdogs. I'm projected double-digit underdogs in, in six games. So I think their ceiling is six over five. But – they have four coin flips, and then I have you know two games that they should win against UC Davis and UNLV to start the year, and then four coin flips. So they're going to win all four coin flips, and if they don't get a, an upset as a double jaw, I doubt it. So I would lean under here. I like I said, I project closer to four and a half. This team has a lot of issues. Wilcox twenty six and twenty eight record. I don't think they get the bowl eligibility. The one thing that I'm I'll, having a, that gives me a little bit of pause with these some of these California teams is that maybe they will really benefit from, you know, Cal was 0-5 in one possession games last year. But, you know, they were also plus 10 turnover margin. That's because Garbers didn't turn it over. And they only fumbled it seven times. It's second fewest in FBS. So they could have some turnover regression coming to balance out maybe the close game regression. But some of the California teams didn't really have a real offseason last year. A lot of restrictions, so maybe they benefit from that this year. But it's under or nothing for me on Cal. You agree? Yeah, project them at five. So under that five and a half, minus 120-ish is what's out there. And I think that this is um, probably the best replication of a Justin Wilcox team that we're going to see, which is the offense is going to be inept and going to have a lot of issues. Uh, The defense is actually, I think, going to pick it up a little bit this year. Um, you know, 70% of the offensive line is back, but they lost 65% of their pass rushing and receiving yards. So we'll see if Jack Plummer can switch that around. But like you said, he's not mobile whatsoever. Defensive coordinator Peter Sermon took over for Tim DeRuiter, a defensive coordinator that I am not a fan of because of, uh, you know, often defenses usually decline under his reign. Uh, he, he likes to do the bend, don't break, and, and uh, try to stiffen up in the red zone. Peter Sermon took Cal 
uh, into a top 50 rank and havoc and finishing drives on defense. So they had a major upgrade, at least from a, a, an advanced analytics perspective, once DeRuiter was out and Peter Sermon took over. The defense returned 60% of their stops from last season. That's a stat that looks at the location of the tackle means the play was successful for the defense. And 67% of their passes defense are back. Safety Daniel Scott's back. He was a big part of that. And a pair of highly graded corners. So, you know, from a back seven perspective, I like this team. Coverage grading of all P5 safeties. Uh, Scott was seventh uh, in the nation. So, you know, I I like the defense, but the offense is going to be absolute, do absolutely nothing. And that's just what a typical Cal team has been over the past few years under Wilcox. No explosiveness. They don't have any receivers who can really break out, which is a major problem. And then the offensive line is an issue, and Plummer is not mobile. It's uh, and he fumbles a lot. He turns it over. The turnover numbers are going to go way up. Uh, so yeah, it's under nothing. Speaking of under nothing, I think that's the same thing with Washington State. I, I think Washington State and, and Cal are similar in the aspect that I have six games where I don't, you know, they're double digit underdogs and they, you know, they have six winnable games, two gimmies, and then, you know, three or four coin flips on the schedule. But here's the thing with Washington State is that. They're a huge wild card on the offense side. We pretty much know what the Cal offense is going to look like because everything is different. And by the way, this is the third offensive scheme in three years. They're going back to a true air raid. Jake Dickert, who took over as interim head coach last year, is back, but he brings in a new offense coordinator for in- Incarnate Word and Cam Ward, who put up gaudy numbers at FCS. It's kind of like the Bailey Zappy story. Will it work as well? Bailey Zappy. Same thing, like just taking the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. And then moving him to power five last year was group of five, Western Kentucky, and then hoping that it works true air raid. You have a new defensive coordinator comes in from Nevada, new special teams coach. This team lost a lot. I mean, they lost their starting quarterback to Arizona, Delora. They lost their top two running backs, their top two receivers, four or five offensive linemen, including one to the NFL. And they only have 31 career starts on the offensive line. And if you remember the bowl game, Central Michigan last year, they, they didn't have their tackles in that game. And the offensive line was horrendous. So Delore got hurt and they couldn't stop anyone. So that is a really big concern here is a really shaky offensive line can, you know, Ward is very mobile. So the hope is that he can make up for that with his legs. You get bell back at wide receiver, which should help, but their defense also lost a ton. It was four of your top six tacklers. Uh, so, you know, it's over five and a half. I project 4.7. Under the under is juice at five and a half. So I'm not playing it because of the wild card with Cam Ward. Um, what's what's this gonna look like? And um, you know, you have a new offense, new defense. You're gonna you're gonna see a tight end um for the first time in years. And so there's a lot of change here, and it's all gonna come down to what Ward can do because the offensive line is is gonna be shaky. And then the, the depth behind him is all freshman. If he gets hurt, something happens, and it's all downhill. Um so I lean under, but no play here on Wazoo on the Palouse. Anything for you? Yeah, they're calling it the coup grade, the coup grade, right? So uh, that's offensive corner Eric Morris from Incarnate Word. He's going to load the offense with H-backs, tight ends, and he's going to run the ball a lot. That's not good when you have an offensive line that's going to struggle to get some continuity going on there. Uh, it's going to be a stark difference from the air raid, the run and shoot from the years past. Uh, but you know, Cam Ward is an absolute highlight machine. So that is the X factor. And that's the reason I project them at 4.4 is that he comes from FCS where I'm not able to carry over incarnate words, statistics that I have for Cam Ward and just slot them in and say, okay, well, per tarp and the transfer portal, it says that they should, you know, get X amount of power rating bump. They didn't get any power rating bump on offense, but that's a little misleading. So, you know, like I said about LSU and USC, it's hard to put these teams in a spreadsheet and say, well, they should be plus two, minus two. It, you really don't know until you see these players that are, you know, been all-stars in the FCS level get out there on the field. So we'll be quick to just, just uh, adjust their power rating number once the season starts. But after that, you know, I mean, Stuck pointed it out about what is this offense going to be and what happens if he gets hurt because there's just not a lot of depth here. Now the defense can't tackle, which is really a problem with most of the defenses in this conference. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye on wide receiver Lincoln Victor for, for the offense. He's probably not going to get tackled. He formerly played at Hawaii. He's going to make a great one-two punch with Cameron Ward. And he played quarterback in high school. So I completely expect a lot of missed tackles forced from this offense, but I expect the same thing from their defense. Uh, Brian Ward is the, is the coordinator there. He's going to stick to a 4-2-5 that Jake Dickard uh, initially installed through his transition of taking over. 
Ward comes from Nevada last season where they finished top 10 nationally and gaining 25 turnovers, whether that's luck or that is coaching the pop balls out, we'll see. But Nevada was right up there and that was because of Brian Ward. So, you know, Jordan Lee's at safety. He's going to join Ward and in transitioning into Pullman from Incarnate Word. So we're going to see, you know, uh, a defense that I believe is on the rise. I want to believe in the coordinator uh, for what he did at Nevada. Um, you know, the team could miss bowl season, but then again, the ceiling with this team, they could play in the Pac-12 championship game if Cameron Ward blows everybody away. Uh, I'm not ruling it out. I don't think I'm betting on it either. So uh, a no play for me. I understand and feel everybody out there that wants to put a Washington State 60 to 1, 40 to 1 ticket out there on them to win the conference because it's the Pac-12. Anything can happen. Offense is rule. And Cameron Ward has the ability to be to make as many highlights as Caleb Williams. So we will see what happens with them. Uh, I don't blame people for taking a long shot on them, but at the same time, I project them 4.4. So I can't put any viable amount of money behind this team whatsoever. Yeah, if you want to throw a fun flyer on it, why not? They do host Oregon and Utah. Um, but from a win total perspective, that's not always good when you're hosting the best teams. But yeah, I project 4.7. Uh, with the ward uncertainty, it's a pass for me. But the defense, you know, defense aligns the strength of the day. They lost two really productive linebackers, slow the team tackling a lot from the secondary. Major questions on that day. All right, great stuff on the Pac-12. Should be an interesting conference to track and update power ratings for all season long. Before we get out of here, let's just highlight our favorite future and or win totals. I'll start. Uh, I'll, I'm going to say Oregon plus 300 to win the Pac-12. I have them marginally behind Utah, my power ratings. Bo Nick season in full effect. Here's the thing. I think defense will be fine despite some of the losses under the tutelage of Dan Lanning. I think Bo Nix will also be fine being reunited with his offensive coordinator from 2019 and the schedule. Oregon won the schedule lottery. They avoid USC. They host Utah. That is massive. And then look at their road schedule. You cannot get an easier road conference slate than Oregon has. And in a year with no divisions in the Pac-12 now, the schedule means a lot more. I think Oregon gets to the Pac-12 title game. And I just think, in general, USC is extremely overvalued here with all the shiny new toys. Favorite win totals, Washington over seven and a half. I like the DeBoer signing, bringing him in, coaching upgrade. I think the quarterback play will be more competent as well as the play calling. I think the defensive scheme change will be a net positive as well. The area to watch is the secondary, but I think overall it will be fine. And then Colorado. Uh, under three and a half, under three wins. I have them double digit underdogs in 11 of 12 games. You know, they're winnable games. I mentioned earlier, they're like plus 10. I haven't projected at Arizona. This team got crushed in the portal. Their secondary is all freshmen. I'm not a fan of any of the quarterback situation. It is just a mess across the board. And of course, Mike Sanford, not a fan of what I think is a desperation move at offensive coordinator. So Colorado, I just cannot see this team getting to four wins. So going under on the buffs. You yeah, I have a lot of agreement with Stucky and what he just rattled off. Not only do I want to fade Colorado all year, I'm going to fade them in week one. I'm going to take TCU now at minus 10. That number should gain traction, get to 13, maybe 14 before we kick off uh, the first game of the season for TCU and Colorado. Just a major mismatch. And Mike Sanford Jr. at offensive coordinator going up against defensive coordinator Joseph Gillespie. As far as win totals, I'm right there with Stuck. There's none that I love more than Washington over seven and a half. I think that's still playable with the juice. And you have to look at the fact that we have a head coach that's coming in from Fresno that's already upstate UCLA down in pa Pasadena. He's going to have to do that again. But this is the easiest schedule in the Pac-12. There's no Utah. There's no USC. There is a lot of depth at the quarterback position. The defense loses plenty, but they do have a solid safety back there to lean on. Uh, this is definitely an over on Washington State. And I'm going to take Utah to win the Pac-12. I definitely think that they are going to make the championship game. Remember, there's a different format now. And for Utah to not make this Pac-12 championship game, they got to finish third in the conference, which is highly unlikely, especially since they are hosting USC on the schedule. Probably going to meet up with Oregon, but I think getting plus money on Utah now is going to pay off when we get to that final weekend of conference championship games. Utah has it in every sense of the way with offense, Cameron Rising, Tavion Thomas in the backfield. Uh, if we can get what we saw in the Rose Bowl out of that offense, is going to be one of the best on the West Coast, west of the Mississippi. Uh, so we'll see what we get there, but uh, that's my pick, Utah to win the Pac-12. Sleeping on Bo next season. And by the way, Colorado, the schedule, 12, 11 Power 5 teams, and then add Air Force. Oof. No gimmies. All right, that'll do it for us. 
thanks as always to Colin for joining me. Great stuff. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes, producers, as always, for all their hard work as well. Help us out. This is the time when ratings matter. So leave a five-star review. If you already have, grab your girlfriend's phone, steal your friend's phone, leave it. We'll do giveaways. Matt, our producer, why don't you list some names of people that have done some reviews. Let the games begin. Hey-o. Hey-o. Thank you, Stucky. Another round of winning reviews on Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you so much for everyone who is giving us five-star reviews. Keep them coming. We've got lots more giveaways in the weeks ahead. First, I'm going to select Money 764 whose review, Best Pod. Also, <laughs> Floop-dee-doo and his review, Awesome Show. Thank you very much, Floop-dee-doo. And MVP1233. Best podcast out there, bar none. Thank you very much to you as well. To claim your prize, please DM me on Twitter at oldboyunclemitch or email me at podcasts at actionnetwork.com. Thanks, everyone, and good luck this season. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. We will be back next week with our recap episode. We'll go through all of our favorite bets for every conference. And then we'll have our week zero. We're 11 days away as of recording this when you're listening. It's probably 10 days away. Then we'll have our week zero betting preview. But make sure you tune in next week. And make sure you tune into all of the previous episodes. Group of five guys, Mike and Mike, are going to kill it all year. I'm excited. We're almost in single-digit days of college football. Get excited. Get your bets in. Make sure you shop around. We'll catch you next week. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.